Tonight, tonight. Why not? He'll make you think. I think I'm going to break protocol here, though. He'll make you laugh. Is it conceited of me? Because, I mean, I'm puffing my chest out a little bit. And he lives for a take that'll make you do both. He says things I can't say. Nothing tops overtime, whether it's on the field or on the air. People don't forget. It's time for Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. And welcome on in. It is Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. Glad you guys be with me here on this Tuesday. Final show of the week for myself. Spencer will be in for the rest of the week. Also on Monday, I am off to Nashville tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. My brother-in-law is getting married over the weekend. And so, uh, honestly, that's what I was just doing right before the show right there. I had a couple minutes, got myself all prepped, ready to go for the uh, the big four-hour extravaganza with Daryl Ryder at 920 and so much stuff in between. Fan focus at 9 o'clock. Ton to get into tonight. And I was like, I got a couple minutes I mean, think about this speech that I got to deliver on Saturday. Oddly enough, Kyle Brandt had, like, really good wedding speech advice. He basically laid out four different things you should be doing and saying in a wedding toast. It's like, all right, let's use that template and go. The problem with being someone like myself that speaks for a living is that people think that you're going to deliver an awesome speech. And it's not a, it's not a bad assumption. I'm not saying they're wrong with living with that idea. It's just the reality is that 99% of wedding toasts absolutely suck. So, yes, there is, like, pressure on myself, I do believe, to make sure that I got this part right, to make sure that I do deliver this speech and I do it in a a nice way that uh, obviously is not, you know, is focused on the couple and is focused on the good experiences and, you know, everything like that. I've, I've only been tasked to do it once before, and... The the guy that, that like ran the music at the venue came up to me and he had like the not the music I'm sorry like the different mics and everything he came up to me afterwards and like that was top ten I've ever heard and it was really nice because then throughout the rest of the night people just flowered me with all sorts of compliments about my speech and I thought it was just so 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 like the bar was really really low but I also had the advantage of I had a bridesmaid the you know the maid of honor go ahead of me and she absolutely tanked it. She was so bad. I don't know if I can rely on that luck again. I don't know if I can be so lucky. So I, I have jacks over here, and I'm like reading off part of the speech that I've written as if uh, it's like I'm doing like stand up and Tuesday night at Hilarities instead. Just working out some fresh material here, guys. Got to see what hits and what doesn't hit. I don't know. That's where my head is going to be at all day today, though. Uh, if you have wedding tips advice, wedding toast tips advice, I know I got to keep it short. I know I got to talk about the couples. I got to talk about the venue and how nice everyone is and not necessarily the venue, but how, what a nice evening it is. I got the boilerplate stuff. But if you have any sneaky good one-liners, don't be scared to throw them my way. I want to make it about as unique and original as I can. But if you have any that you know is awesome, it's got to be tastefully funny, though. I'm not getting up there and making some sort of sexual innuendos at my brother-in-law's wedding. I'm not getting up there. That's not that's not the the vibe I'm going for here, okay? I like to think I am tastefully funny. I don't do fart jokes. I don't do uh, a lot of, you know, innuendos or anything like that. Well, let's try to keep it a little bit that way. If you have any advice, I'd love to hear it. At JP, you know how you find me, J-P-E-T-E-R-L-I-N. So I'm going to have that ping-ponging in the back of my brain. I'm going to try to shut that part of my brain off and deliver you guys Four hours of fantastic uh, Cleveland sports radio. That's what we're going to go for here tonight. So so where we're starting with that is the idea that when it comes to Kevin Stefanski, I was listening to the morning show today, and they had John Marks on, and I think this is important. Uh, you know, They were wondering whether or not we're too hard 
on Kevin Stefanski, and I think he's had one of the easier three years you could possibly have in the NFL for somebody that has only lost more games in each successive year. 11 wins, 8 wins, 7 wins. He's He's gone backwards. For a 520 winning percentage, Kevin Stefanski has never been treated better in my estimation. You don't win seven games after year three and get the red carpet rolled out for you the way that he has. Now, you might be telling yourself, yeah, but at the end of that red carpet is a throne that he sits on that is legitimately on fire because his seat is so warm. Yeah, okay, maybe. That's fine, but at least he's still in the driver's seat. At least he still gets an oppor- or has an opportunity to showcase what he can and cannot do. John Marks, w- uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm almost a WIP in, in Philadelphia. I, that would not be accurate, and if it is, apologies to John. I don't know where John Marks is from. I just know he's been covering Philadelphia sports for a, a million years. Like, part of me wants to say at one point he was with the AP. Another part of me wants to say WIP was the accurate thing. Yes, WIP. Stick with your first intuition, people. John Marks talking about Nick Sirianni, who was the coach in the Super Bowl last year, and how Eagles fans maybe don't love him as much as you think he would. There is certainly some thought of, all right, how much does he have actually have to do with it? And I think it's a it, it's a poor way to look at it. And if the re- really reason is he's not calling plays, right? When you think of an offensive coach that's hired, he's an offensive coordinator, he gets hired as a head coach, you're hiring him for his offense. You're hiring him to scheme. You're hiring him to call plays, right? And when you get an offensive coach that is not calling plays, and he originally called plays his first year, he gave that up maybe a third or halfway into the season because they were struggling – when that happens, you say, like, okay, well, what is he really doing? Now, that, to me, I think is another layer to the Kevin Stefanski why he wouldn't give up play-calling conversation that we've had for, what, two years now? I always contended it's because Kevin Stefanski thought he was good at it. Now, honestly, that's what I thought. I thought because Kevin Stefanski believed he was good at it, and if you believe you're good at something, you're never going to entrust your job in the hands of somebody else if you think you're the best option. That's just how we do things in life. For instance, if you were to tell me, hey, JP, you, you need ratings, you need all sorts of different things in order to keep this job, you need to have some relative amount of success doing this, uh, well, do you want to do the whole, like, hey, you can lay out topics and then you can book the guests and then you can do all that and, and, and we'll put somebody else that has not done any radio, we'll put somebody else behind the mic and, and your whole career can just depend on whether or not that person does a good or bad job, or do you want to go ahead and trust yourself? Like, yeah, of course, I'm going to trust myself. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down with the ship. To me, there's no point of doing this if I'm not the one that's doing it. When it comes to Kevin Stefanski, he feels the exact same way. He's always going to call the plays, because in his mind, he is as good as it gets in play calling. And I know you're going to laugh at that because you don't think he's a very good play caller, but guess what? In Kevin Savansky's mind, he thinks he is the greatest play caller to ever walk planet Earth. That's how we got to the position that he's currently in. But I love that extra layer attached to it. That like, well, what, do you, what is it you say you do here from office space? What, what is it you say you do here if you're not calling the plays, if you're not the offensive coordinator? And remember last year in Philadelphia. So the very first year that uh, Nick Sirianni was there, Seven games in, he gave the play-calling duty off to Shane Steichen, and they took off from there. The reality was is that they went from one offensive identity to a completely different offensive identity overnight. They ran the ball in the second half of that first season for Sirianni more than any team in the league, and they were threatening more than any other team in league history had done from Week 7 on. They completely changed who they were, and I've always given Nick a lot of credit for that. 
Understanding what you are and aren't good at is admirable to a degree. Year two happened. Shane Steichen, absolute rock star as an offensive coordinator. No other way to put it. There's a reason why he ended up as the head coach in Indianapolis. He took Jalen Hurts to another level. He took that offense to another level. They end up in the Super Bowl. Steichen gets hired to Indianapolis. Eagles fans, not only did they rip Jonathan Gannon, which I listened to WIP after that Super Bowl, the defensive coordinator who got hired by Arizona, because they had both their offensive and defensive coordinator sniped away, because that's what happens when you go to the Super Bowl. They blamed they blamed him for the 38 allowed to Patrick Mahomes. And then when it came to Steichen, they acted like he could walk on water because he got Jalen Hurts three rushing touchdowns, four total touchdowns, and 35 points against a very meh Kansas City Chiefs defense. It's a nice performance. I'm not saying it isn't. It's a nice outing. But it wasn't the world's greatest Super Bowl performance we've ever seen. But it was very good. It was very good in that game. The question for Eagles fans is what is it that you do if you're not calling the plays? And they got a little chippy at Nick Sirianni. But here's where I give Sirianni a lot of credit. Nick is at least cognizant that he is the reason for why everything else operationally works. Culture, talking to the media, doing the ins and outs and the little things that I feel like goes completely discounted in today's NFL. You know, there's not not a lot of coaches don't call offensive or defensive plays. You usually pick one or the other. But there's enough out there that if you are really, really good at doing the other things, I totally get why you'd be willing to go ahead and let somebody else do the offensive and defensive side of things. You get all the credit. You, you get all the glory. And for the most part, if you make it to the Super Bowl, most fan bases don't complain, but most fan bases aren't Philadelphia Eagles fans either. Uh, they throw snowballs at Santa, okay? It's not the easiest crowd to please on a consistent basis. So I'm going to take that. We're going to take that that idea and that concept, because the morning show was wondering if we're just too hard as a fandom on Kevin Stefanski, and then just listen to what you heard with John Marks, and you wonder whether or not we're too hard on Kevin Stefanski. They're hard on a guy that went to the Super Bowl last year. Meanwhile, the question was wondering whether or not we're too hard on a guy that won seven games and eight games in the previous two years for a combined 15, a sub-500 coach in the previous two years of play. I just can't get along with that line of thinking. I am a Stefanski defender more than I am, more than most people I believe out there. I think he's good. I don't think he's great. I think he's a solid head. I think he's an adult in the room. I think there's a lot that he brings, but I think his culture has been an absolute disaster. I think on the defensive side of the ball, he's basically let them run amok. That's what happened last year in my estimation. Joe Woods was in charge of the defense, and Kevin Savansky focused so much on the offense that they basically were, they might as well have been two different football teams. But you can look at it honestly at times like it was three different football teams. You had the special teams on one side, you had the offense on another side, and you had a defense on the other side. It was like it was not all one cohesive thing. It's like you play offense, you're Kevin Stefanski's children. You go play defense, you're with Joe Woods. And special teams, obviously, was pre-first slash Callahan. You know where it is. This year, I feel like it's much different. This year, I feel like even though Stefanski is letting Jim Schwartz do a lot defensively, I feel like, I get the impression that there's at least a sense of one football team. But when it comes to Stefanski and whether or not we've been too hard as a fan base on him, 
please save it. He has been let off the hook, in my estimation, in a way that most other coaches wouldn't be after winning coach of the year. Most of the time in sports, you got to work in a linear fashion. You got to keep improving, right? This is one of the, the big battles that a lot of people have. I've been talking about this a lot within GMs and how they keep their jobs in particular. I mentioned Kobe Altman. Kobe Altman's in a good spot because Kobe Altman, you know, won 44 games last, or 44 games two years ago, then won 51 and went to the postseason, but didn't win a postseason series. So this next year, he can win 52 or 53 games. He can win a first round playoff series and then fans will still say, but we're getting better. We're getting better. Year in, year out, we're getting better. The big problem you have as a sports fan is when you go backwards. And within Kevin Savansky each year, they've gone backwards. And I'm going to be honest. I don't sense the heat when it comes to the day in, day out on Kevin Savansky the way that maybe some other people do. He knows his job is on the line. That's not up for debate. But as I've said before, he'll be the head coach here for the next 10 games or the next 10 years. And I think he knows that as well. If Deshaun Watson is good, none of these conversations truly matter when it comes to Kevin Stefanski and his job because he'll be here for the long term. Two one six four seven four to below 92. On Twitter, there you can find me. I am at Jay Peterlin. Are we too hard as a fan base on Kevin Stefanski? We'll continue on with this. Daryl Ryder at 920. Fan Focus at 9. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you on The Fan. There is certainly some thought of, all right, how much does he have actually have to do with it? And I think it's a it, it's a poor way to look at it. And it, the re, really reason is he's not calling plays, right? When you think of an offensive coach that's hired, he's an offensive coordinator. He gets hired as a head coach. You're hiring him for his offense. You're hiring him to scheme. You're hiring him to call plays, right? And when you get an offensive coach that is not calling plays, and he originally called plays his first year, he gave that up maybe a third or halfway into the season because they were struggling. When when that happens, you say, like, okay, well, what is he really doing? And it's the voice of John Marks, WIP, on earlier today. Eagles-Browns doing their joint practices. He's talking about Nick Sirianni, their head coach right there. I tend to think it's hysterical that you can be in the Super Bowl last year, and already it sounds like Philly fans even played a regular season game. The last game that Philly fans saw their team play in was the freaking Super Bowl, and already fans are like, what is it you, What is it that you do here? Oh, my goodness. Have we jumped the shark as fans in in 2023 of sports teams when you can't even be satisfied with your head coach that just made it to the Super Bowl? And this was not one of those, like, freak Super Bowls where you went through a bunch of really bad teams. And I hate to say it, sometimes you can luck your way into a Super Bowl. It was not one of those scenarios. You legitimately had a top-five quarterback at the position. That's why you paid him the bag. You had one of the best defensive lines and offensive lines in the game. Your defensive line had four people with ten sacks each on it. You were a complete football team. Yeah, you play in the NFC. I won't discount that too much against you guys. There are two good teams in the NFC in my mind. It is the 49ers and it is the Eagles. I mean, my good. What in the Bradley Cooper is going on? Now I'm trying to think who the most famous Philadelphia Eagles fan is, and it's a it's a race in my mind, and I know I know I'm missing a lot of people here, but in my mind it's a race between Bradley Cooper and Mike Trout. Because that's the most interesting thing we know about Mike Trout as a baseball player, is that he's a he's a fan of the Eagles. Fantastic. But are you kidding me? That's where we're at right now? I mean, Kevin Safansky never stood a chance if those are our are, are actual limits and, and heights. 
and what we put our expectations, excuse me, that's what I'm going for, our expectations on these head coaches. How in the world can Kevin Stefanski ever compete in being a head coach if when coaches make it to the Super Bowl, everyone's got issues because he didn't call the plays? All right, fine. Okay. That's unreal to me. I get it. Kevin Stefanski's boring. If there was a Pixar movie of a glass of water, they'd cast him. He's boring. But I've never judged him for that. I don't judge coaches for being boring. It's in their best interest to be as interesting as C-SPAN. That's their reality. And Stefanski operates in his best interest. But I could make the argument that Stefanski's gotten one of the easier paths in recent years. All things considered. And again, look at the heat just put on Sirianni in Philadelphia. Hugh Jackson was beat up like a pinata daily. It got to the point where I bet his own family didn't take him as a serious human. He was used as a punching bag. He would have been great late-night fodder for the Jimmy Fallon's of the world if they focused on bad football coaches and not, you know, like real-world events. Alabama Jim Tom Sua, or as you guys call him, Freddie Kitchens, wasn't any better. Stefanski treated, in my estimation, relative to those guys, with all sorts of respect. I think winning Coach of the Year out of the gate, and I think winning 11 games... And winning the postseason game, I think it bought him a lot of time. I hear you guys. Some of you guys are still upset. Hell, some of you guys wanted to argue over the preseason game and whether or not he did the goal line situation with Deshaun Watson right. As if he actually would have given the ball to Felton and Kelly in three straight plays the way he did in that, in that, uh, in that sequence. Like that was not going to be reality. We need to pretend, at least, at least give Stavansky some sense of he would have known better than that. But no coach with a 520 winning percentage has been treated with more kid gloves than Stefanski has, in my opinion. Now, I haven't seen it. So I don't think we're being too hard on him in the slightest bit. 216474 to below 92. Are we too hard on Stefanski as a fan base or even within the media? Do you guys think at times we're just a little bit too hard? Michael and Akron, I'm next on the fan. Hello, Michael. Um, I think that we have come to expect too much from Stefanski considering some of his situations that he's been in. Now, mind you this, he comes in and inherits a quarterback. Takes the Browns to the playoffs, which nobody saw coming. Then the next year with the same quarterback, we know what happened with the injury and the Odell stuff. So under those circumstances, like, okay, then comes the next year with Watson and Percet going back and forth. Like, what was he supposed How many games were we really supposed to win? I mean, even though when you go back and look at those games, the games we lost, they weren't too much on Stefanski, Cage, or missing field goals, and the defense collapsing. I mean, there was two or three wins that was easily in the bag that somehow is not in the bag. So now here comes Watson, full training camp, full offseason, no hiccups, in Stefanski's office. This is the year we get to see what it really looks like. Because with Baker Mayfield, you only got pieces of it. We didn't get the whole kick and caboodle. But now we will with this guy. So this is the year that we get to see what he's doing. And I don't blame him. If I'm an expert in something, if if I'm a, if you hire me because I'm an expert in calling plays, I'm not giving them up either. Right. Who am I going to give them up to? Somebody that I think is, is better than me? Ain't nobody on this team better than me to call in plays? Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's why I'm the head coach. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you now, I might know a little something about defense, so Joe Woods, but you know what? I hired Joe Woods, so I'm going to let Joe Woods 
do his thing. And if it doesn't work out, then I can just fire Joe Woods. I'm not jumping the gun. I'm not embarrassing him in the public. The fans will not dictate to me how this goes. Don't see how that goes before with the fans dictate. Oh, that's a good point. Yep, they good always point. blow up in our faces. They're never good. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And that's what I like about Stefanski. The fans mm. don't move him. Yeah, it would be, uh, Michael, great call, man. I appreciate you. It'd be disingenuous of me to ever suggest him go against that. Mainly because you guys have heard me talk about it before. One of the few uh, tips and advice I've gotten in radio that from like people outside of like, you know, 92 through the fan, obviously I have bosses here that give me tips and they let me know everything and I appreciate them and all that. But like, you know, just from people outside in the business, but outside of these walls, I was once told, one of the big problems radio hosts have, and this happens at any lot in life. This is this translate anywhere, even outside of radio. It, all walks of life, this works, but in radio, it does happen. Where you you get the gig, you're excited about the gig, and you have a bunch of success, right? And then you move forward, and and you get another another promotion, and and then all of a sudden, you get you you know your dream job, your dream situation, and you just start acting different. You know, you you forgot what got you that dream job, that dream position. You forgot what you were doing that was right, that was working to get you into that spot to begin with. Happens to people all the time, all the time. And then they're not as good. They're not as good because they didn't follow what got them there. And they try to change things around, and then before you know it, it's like, wait, what happened? I like this guy. Now I don't like this guy. What happened here? And that works in all walks of life. It really does. All sorts of people have a lot of success and forget what got them that success and what they had to do in order to get that success and how they got there. And then they try reinventing themselves and doing it different ways, and it's just not, you know, if you're James Harden, you got one of the best moves in the NBA for those couple years, stay with that move until the NBA says you can't do it anymore. You know, okay, stay with what got you there. When it comes to Kevin Stefanski, I would never tell him to be anything but himself, because in his mind, he has to believe that what he's done is right. And I like him not being bullied by everybody to give up the play calling. I love, I respect that about Stefanski. I always have. But I think there's a lot that he can back it up with, too. You know, at parts of last year with Jacoby Brissett, Jacoby Brissett, a guy that I once said looked like a high school quarterback next to Deshaun Watson in training camp last year. He had him as a, a top five, legitimate top five scoring offense at one point in the season last year. He knows how to do this. No surprise to me. Some of the tweets out from training camp over the past couple of days have been talking about how the Browns have been scheming all sorts of players wide open. The remark was how Deshaun wasn't hitting all those guys. But in my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, Kevin Stefanski, he's the one. He's got these guys open. Because that's what Kevin Stefanski does. Now, I have wondered at times if Stefanski has a little bit of a, a poor man's Kyle Shanahan thing going on right now. A poor man's Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan, what he does very, very better than anybody else, what he's great at, in my estimation, is getting bad quarterbacks or perceived to be middle of the road to bad quarterbacks to be great. Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, two straight or two NFC title games in, in three years, including a Super Bowl appearance. He took Brock Purdy to the NFC title game. Mister Irrelevant. One year prior, has him in the NFC title game. He can get the most out of mediocre to bad quarterbacks, in my mind, more than any coach I've ever seen. And I've always thought Kevin Stefanski has that in him. When he had Baker playing as good as he had ever played, no offense to Baker and, and the you know Mayfield family, but Baker is at this point, and really at that point, after four different offensive coordinators in three years, he's a very middle-of-the-road Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr on his best day type quarterback. And Stefanski got the most out of him. Jacoby Brissett, 
we'd never seen Jacoby look better in the NFL. What I'm wondering about for this upcoming season, what does he do when he gets the keys to the Lambo? What is it that you do when you don't have to drive the used car and and the the beater to work and try to make that one your reality? What do you do when you finally get the keys to the big dog car? I've never seen Kevin Stefanski have keys to a quarterback like Deshaun Watson. I don't know what he's going to be able to do with it. I don't know if he unleashes something we've never seen before. I don't know if he's all of a sudden the world's greatest. I mean, Shanahan, when given an opportunity, I know you guys are going to laugh at this. You're like, oh, well, Matt Ryan isn't a Lambo. He's not a, he's not a top tier car. Okay, fine. Matt Ryan in that 2016 season won an MVP and legitimately had one of the best seasons we've had in the previous decade of football for quarterbacks. Go, go look at it the year he won MVP. That MVP is right up there with Mahomes and everybody else under the sun. Like there, there's, there's layers to this stuff, guys. I, I don't know what exactly it is. That Kevin Stefanski does best, but the bet I would have is that he's a poor man's Kyle Shanahan, which I think Kyle Shanahan is one of the top five coaches in the game. So I don't take that as an insult if that's what you are. With the Falcons, he got Matt Ryan to heights we'd never see Matt Ryan go to. And then in San Francisco, he's been juggling bad quarterback to mediocre quarterback for years on end and only having a bunch of success. So if he truly is that guy, I think it's a really good sign for the Browns. Some of the traits, some of the similarities, some of what they do matches. I need to see Stefanski be a little bit more well-rounded. But I think that's what he likes about Jim Schwartz. That's why I advocated for Jim Schwartz as well. 216474 to below 92. Are we too hard as a fan base on Stefanski? When you think about Stefanski and you think about some of the conversations, I think we're fair. I think we're very fair, and I think entering this year, I can't look at it any other way. I think if Stefanski takes Deshaun Watson to the heights we think and hope he will, then it's going to be water on the bridge. All the people that complain about goal line situations or the third and two and fourth and two like we did last year, you're going to say, well, hey, that's a that's the price of having an aggressive head coach. But ultimately, I think with Stefanski, he's going to have his fate dialed in in the first ten games of the year. We're either going to know if this guy is going to be the guy for the next decade or the first 10 games of the season. 216474 to below 92. Bobby up next in the fan. Hello, Bobby. Hey, um, uh, Jonathan, how are you? Hey, what's up, Bobby? You ain't going to like this phone call, man, because I was just in the car. I went to get a beer, and I clicked on um, the fan like I always do, and you made a comment about Hugh Jackson. Do you remember that? Yeah, I said he was beat up like a pinata daily. Yeah, but you mentioned his family, and you got a little bit too personal, man. You, you, don't have so? a right, you, you don't have a right to do that, man. You don't know that, man. You don't have a right to do that. Okay. I'll apologize if you think I crossed the line there, Bobby. That's all right. Thank you, Jonathan, because you're normally a solid-ass dude. I, whoops. Yeah. Did I, I mean, hey, if you thought I crossed it, I'll, I'll gladly apologize. No problem there, Bobby. I'm sorry for, for cursing, but... Um, I didn't hear the other curse. Than that, just, other than that, you're solid as, uh, H, as heck. Oh. So I just want to point that out, my man. Okay? okay. No, you're good, Bobby. Keep me checked on, okay? All right. Thank All you. All right. Thank you, Bobby. All right. Hey. Hey. Is that what we, yeah, if, you, if you felt I went overboard, I got no problem saying let's dial this one back a little bit. Hugh Jackson, though, he got beat up like a pinata daily. There's no doubt about that. Zero doubt about that. 
thought Alabama Jim Tom uh, Jim Tom Sula for Freddie Kitchens. I thought that was the bigger insult, at least in my perception. I don't know. I mean, Freddie Kitchens, he knows how to roll with the punches a little bit, but uh, yeah, maybe. Anyway, two one six four seven four to below ninety two. I'm apparently too hard on Hugh Jackson years after the fact. Are we too hard as a fan base on Kevin Stefanski? At JPeterlin is how you find me, J-P-E-T-E-R-L-I-N. It's overtime with John of the Beatle here with you on the fan. All right, busy 9 o'clock hour ahead. We got Daryl Ryder at 920. We got Fan Focus at 9 o'clock. You're going to hear every Browns game on 92.3 The Fan, but there is so much you're going to need to know before and after every game. Search for the Browns in the Odyssey app and follow to get all the audio from 92.3 The Fan pushed right to your phone. Plus, if you miss anything from our live shows, check out the chapters labeled by our producers. You can search for all the segments you want. Make sure you've downloaded the Odyssey app to follow the Browns all throughout the season. Asking you guys, 216474 to below 92. Are we too hard as a fan base on Stefanski? What I like about some of these, some of the times you throw out a topic like this and you, you do, you get split reactions on it. And I find that to be kind of fun. Because I don't even like Stefanski as much as most would think I do. And I find myself sticking up for him way more than what the common fan does. The reality is that the, the coaching wonder boy movement has dried up. When everyone that got Sean McVay a cup of coffee was being hired and some worked. Zach Taylor worked in Cincinnati. Matt LaFour won three straight 13-plus seasons. It worked in Green Bay. Some didn't, but some did. That dried up. The offensive coaching movement dried up. That's why Jonathan Gannon, D'Amico Ryans, both defensive guys got hired this offseason. Defensive coaches, since the world didn't have their choice of the offensive guys. Shane Steichen, one awesome season as an OC with Hurts and Philly. That was all it took to get hired. So this is kind of like the Mike Tomlin conundrum all over again. You know, Tomlin hasn't won a playoff game in six years, but there aren't enough good coaches out there to replace him if you needed to. Him getting to 500 every season is better than what a replacement can do, so you just kind of stay pat. It's tough, and and I'm saying this with the understanding that if it doesn't work, then the Browns have no choice. They'd be stuck with moving on. But the options wouldn't be great. But fans don't care about that since we only care about the results, and I understand that. But some of the results I'm getting, and my uh, my Twitter reactions, X reactions, you know what we should do? We should we should put in the X going to give it to you sound, so every time I can say X reactions, and then we can we can play the drop, and then we can go into it so people forget I'm even talking about Twitter because Twitter's now X. It's brought to you by Shopping Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. Real Xavier P says, yeah, I think people are unfair with Kevin. We haven't had playoff rosters and a lot of key injuries in the hardest division with great quarterbacks and coaches and not having one as a hand behind your back. Okay, it hasn't always been the hardest division. It's not cupcake soft in the years that Stefanski has been here, but it isn't always the hardest division, okay? You had the transitional years for the Steelers when Rigatoni Roethlisberger was throwing ducks Mixed in with them having a rookie quarterback in Kenny Pickett. Baltimore also went through a stretch where Lamar Jackson missed 10 out of the previous 22 games. And although we all thought they were a good team, they were hardly at season's end the team everybody thought they were. So I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think right now for this upcoming season, you could say unquestionably the AFC North is the hardest division in football. I've made that case on these airwaves. I believe that to be true. I think the AFC East is a close second, but I believe 
the AFC North is the toughest in the game. But it's a culmination of everything. Yes, Joe Burrow's been good for the previous two years. The Bengals have obviously been great. There's no denying that. But the Ravens haven't done their part, and the Steelers haven't done their part in the Kevin Savansky era as far as being very serious, as far as being a team that we look to and say, yeah, okay, that, that's a good they, they, they've, uh, they've delivered on the promises that they've given to their fan bases. Matt Canada is a daily discussion as being a dumpster fire. Again, they've almost fired Mike Tomlin, who if was fired, how many coaches would fire their coach instantly to give him the job? Like 25 across the sport. Robert says, too hard, question mark, question mark. Let's look back in the past 25 years of Brownies coaches. Shell-shocked, more like it. Yeah, I mean, Stefanski legitimately is the best Browns coach since Belichick. It might hit you a little hard. That's kind of like when we have the Baker conversations, though. It's like, Baker's the best quarterback since Sipe and Kozar? Yeah, yeah, he is. He legitimately is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Stefanski with his one playoff win and 11-win season and then eight wins and seven wins in the following two years after, legitimately the best the best coach we've had since Belichick. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. But then we get guys like T Daz in here, and he's like, "I'm not buying Stefanski yet. I see too many things that trouble me about him. Mind-boggling in-game decisions, hurting his own team, and he just seems emotionally detached from the team. He does feel emotionally detached from the team, and I do worry about that. I think the biggest frustrations that fans have with Stefanski, though, is the same frustration you'd have with any modern head coach." We just haven't seen someone like him yet, so it's new for a lot of fans. We haven't seen someone like him, where he takes a modern approach to the game and it befuddles a lot of people. And I do think the fan base can, at times, be very hypercritical. I think I'm very hypercritical at times, too. Now, I wasn't complaining about the end zone situation in a preseason game, but I saw enough people out there that were. I think we are very hypercritical when it comes to some of the decisions made within the coaches of the Browns. And you know what? We should be. You should hold them to a high standard. That's what this whole thing is about. But ultimately, I think with coaching in the NFL, we can't treat it the same way as we treat Terry Francona in a Guardians game. You know, baseball managers make maybe 10 decisions in a game. Outside of the lineup that they'll choose, you make maybe one to four bullpen changes. You make a couple of different pitch hitting opportunities, maybe some changes in the outfield. Like you got maybe six to ten decisions you have to make in a game. Kevin Savansky's making a decision every single play. He's making 70 decisions in a game. He's not going to hit them all right. And I think it's so easy in football to be like, oh, why'd he pass on that play? Well, think about the chess game that is happening on a consistent baseball on a football field or consistent bases, excuse me. On a football field, like you are consistently being, they think I'm going to run, so I need to pass, but then they think I'm going to pass, so maybe I need to actually run. And it's just like this never-ending cycle of like, how often can we try to be the smartest person in the room? But it's very easy to be critical. You know, any given day, if I want to, I've held this belief because at times I've gone through and I've been nitpicky and I've been able to do it if I want to. Legitimately, any game that I want to, I can go back and I can find a million different mistakes from coaches, and I can highlight them for an hour if I want to. I can talk about different things. I can do it in the the preseason game if you really wanted me to. All sorts of different plays, all sorts of different situations where I'm like, I would have done this different. This should have been done different. This, this, and this. It just it's it's part of what football lends itself to. I'm not alone here. You guys could do it too. Uh, I'm not some sort of you know football genius or something. It's just you guys could just as easily do it as well. Whereas baseball, you get you get six to ten decisions a day. 
know, Tito can legitimately pitch or coach rather a perfect foot or perfect baseball game. Kevin Stefanski can't coach a perfect football game. Andy Reid has never coached a perfect football game. It's just, it's not possible. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. Brandon up next on the fan. Well, Brandon. Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's up, man? So, I mean, I don't think you're ever really too hard on the head coach. I mean, so I guess my comparison, and this is a comparison I've made with Stefanski. As a Bears fan, I remember Matt Nagy. Okay, it wasn't too long ago. Mm-hmm. He went twelve and four his first year in Chicago, and then you know eight and eight, eight and eight every year after that. Got the boot. Now we have Eberflus. Like, exactly right. I'm starting to see. I'm seeing a little bit of that with Stefanski, just because you know he had that stellar first year, and then you know it's just uh, guys will call it mediocrity ever since then. And yeah, part of that you can blame as a roster. You know, I, I can make that same comparison with um, the Bears because Trubisky was our quarterback in that 12 and four year. It wasn't the offense that took us to the promised land. It was that you know that defense, but. At some point, you've got to kind of question the play calling of a head coach. Uh, I get it. He's not the only man on that coaching staff. You know, Joe Woods definitely had his issues on defense. They probably lost some games they shouldn't have. But I guess where I really kind of fell off of Stefanski was uh, Baker's last year, where as a head coach, you kind of have to save a quarterback from themselves sometimes. And I don't think Baker should have been playing in most of that season. Yeah, you're right. Baker called the shots there, though, clearly. Well, yeah, and, I mean, I'm not disputing that. What I think is, you know, as a head coach, you got to put your foot down and say, look, you're not playing. Yeah, yeah. Because I, that season was just a wash of a season, you know, I, after that. I think, Brandon, you're 100% right. I think he felt the pressure. I think Stefanski felt the pressure because he knows you got to consistently win. And I think I think there was a lot of mistakes had on behalf of Baker there, for sure. But you're right. And, then, and thank you, Brandon. I appreciate it. And you're right about Matt Nagy. I brought him up early in the show as well. Nagy went 12 and 4 and then back to back 8 and 8 seasons and then had the 6 win year at the end and, you know, gone, blouses, as he should have been. John up next on the fan. Hello, John. What's up, John? How you doing? Hey, what's up, John? John, I'm doing good. How you doing, John? <laughs> good, John. Go ahead, John. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, kind of to uh, go off that other call, I mean, I don't think Kevin's fancy is anything like Matt Nagy. At all. First off, um, he's a much better play caller. He uses the screens. He uses the run game. He uses the offensive line much better than Matt Nagy ever did. But at, at some point, the last two years, you do have to chalk it up to players not making plays. I mean, we can go to that Amari Cooper play. I forget who they were playing, but he had that offensive uh, pass interference call on him. And that was a great play call by Kevin Stefanski and the Browns the Browns coordinators, and they went deep with uh, Jacoby Brissett, and, you know, Amari Cooper just didn't make the play, really. They lost that game, and obviously they went, you know, what, 7 in, what was it, 7 in 9 that year, and then the year before they went 8 in, they went 8 and 8, uh, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of those games, if you go back and watch them, they were one-score games, and Stefanski called, you know, some some really risky calls at times, but they were winning plays and the players didn't make plays. And, that, and I know they play a lot now all of a sudden, but at the end of the game, those guys do need to make winning plays. Uh, and I felt like the play calling was just fine. Um, and the defense was, was crap last year. I mean, the interior defense line was the worst in the league by far. 
bar none, and uh, they, they've really improved that. So I, I see them going with 11 wins this year, and I even did a big bat here in the state of Ohio on uh, the sport books. Uh, that's how much I believe that they're doing 11, 11, 11 and 6, or my fault, 11 and 7. That's uh, that's a lot. Lock it in. Lock it in. Eleven and six, John. It was it was that Ravens game, by the way. That's when you're thinking of the twenty three twenty game. Huge, huge game. Yeah, and so I just want to point out that they beat the Ravens twice in that game, and they maybe set themselves up for a double beating of the Steelers that year if they are all in, because we know they weren't all in in that game, and the Steelers were. Um, so that 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 is a huge play. Huge call, and uh, yeah. Amari Cooper did not make it. No doubt. Thank you, John. Appreciate yep. you, man. Yeah, and I'm going to go to bat for Amari later on. But that that 34, it was a 34 yard uh, touchdown, wiped off the board, lose by three. David quickly in Columbus up next. Hello, David. How are you? Thank you. What's going on, man? Hey, man. How are you? So not bad. So whatever Stefanski is, he's going to be. All I know is I want our next coach to be a leader of men, but not only men football players, but a man of coaches as well. I don't need the whole guru of offensive coordinator, guru of defensive coordinator. I think it should be somebody that can lead. You hire somebody that can call plays. You hire somebody that can call defensive plays. Reminds me of a Mike Thomas, uh, a Vrabel. Yeah. You just need to be a leader, a manager. That's it. None of the guru stuff, too much on, you know, too much in your plate. Just be a leader. And and he's, manage, not, he's not that, though. He's not that, and he knows I don't, that. I don't, I don't think he is. It's I'm not just it's praying not that truth. he could be that guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. No, we on the same page. Okay. Yeah, you got it. Thank you, David. I, I appreciate you, yeah. man. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not him. It's not Stefanski. He knows that about himself, though. He didn't get hired to be Tony Robbins. He got hired to be Stefanski. So if you, if you want a Vrabel, you want a Tomlin, you got to be fans of the Titans or the Steelers. Hey, we're not having it here. Or you got to wait. You got to wait and see what happens this year because you might get your wish. Uh, because if it doesn't go right with Deshaun. Well, let's not even think that way. It's going to go right with Deshaun. Stefanski will be the coach for the next 10 years, and we'll be all right. All right, leave that there. We come on back. Fan focus. We got Daryl Ryder at 920. Let's get on the hop. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you on the fan.